Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Welcome to Crozet United Methodist Church. I'm Sarah, the pastor here, and this is our 11 o'clock traditional worship service. So this is something new to our digital ministry, but something that we have been doing for quite some time in person in worship before the age of isolation. And so we are rekindling this as uh, our state here is uh, coming out of isolation and phases. We are trying to return to our order of worship, and so there, is, there will be a distinct difference between what you would see at 9.30, which is our contemporary worship service, and now our 11 o'clock. For instance, I am wearing my liturgical robe and my stole and uh, my other accoutrement here, and we will have a more formalized order of worship. We will sing some of our more traditional hymns. And we hope that it will be a blessing to you. And we encourage you to uh, join us if, both at 9.30 and 11. Or if you have a preference for one, you can certainly watch the other midweek. So if you're a traditional worshiper on Sunday, but you've been looking for a midweek praise service, you can log on and watch our 9.30 on Wednesday. And hopefully that will meet your needs as well. I have a few announcements that we want to share with you. And the first is that we want to remind you that um, our Jesus that we use for children's time and chapel here at Crozet United Methodist Church has acquired some pets during isolation that we're going to be utilizing to uh, celebrate the blessing of the animals when it's safe for us to do that. And so our preschoolers got to name the, the mini horse, the pony that Jesus had, and our children got to name the cat. And now it is time for our youth and adults. So if you have a suggestion for Jesus' dog, we would love to receive it. You can leave your ideas in the comments if you would like, and we look forward to seeing what name Jesus will give to his dog. Uh, we also want to remind you that this Thursday, the Bible study that I have been leading at 6 o'clock will be back. We're going to rejoin Lamentations and start with chapter 4. If you have not been with us, it's not too late. You can certainly jump in, but if you want to play catch-up, you can log on and see when we've covered chapters 1, 2, and 3, each in their own video and we encourage you to join us as we are looking at a portion of scripture that reflects the body the body of people the believers worshiping and experiencing loss and suffering as a community and how that speaks to us now so we encourage you to join us for that we're also looking for new team members to join our tech team if you've been sharing worship in our digital ministry you'll know that it has been continuing to grow and expand and we have bought new equipment we've received incredible donations and we are looking for people to be part of that it takes people to run it we are not looking for people with phds and technical ministries we are looking for people who are willing to be trained and sometimes it's better if you don't know what you're doing so that we can train you our way so if that speaks to you and you feel the spirit moving and nudging you we would love to have you be a part it's an incredible blessing to have people that are here and supporting us and being present with us, but also enabling us to continue to preach the gospel and share it with others and share the good news. So we invite you to be a part of that. And lastly, we always want to remind you that always and everywhere, you can do three things. You can pray, you can give, and you can share. 
We are so grateful for the people, not only here in our church, but across the world that have been a part of our prayer ministry, not only joining us in prayer for one another and for others, but also sharing their prayers. You can log on to our church website, crozetunitedmethodist.org, and submit your prayer request there. You can sign up to be part of our prayer team that will echo those prayers and surround people and their petitions with the power of prayer. And we are so grateful for everyone that has been a part of that ministry. It truly does connect us in powerful and profound ways. So thank you. And we have people who have been so generous and gracious to give and support us even now. Just because we are not all together does not mean that the work ceases in the body of Christ. And as you may have noticed over time that we've continually poured effort and energy and expense into our digital ministry. And we are so grateful for your gifts that enable us to continue the missions in the ministry of Jesus Christ and to bless others, especially in this current state of our world and in this time of need. So you can uh, give on our website. You can give in the link that you'll find in the text here. And we are so grateful for all that you have done for us and with us. And lastly, we want to encourage you to share. This is certainly a time when people have been inundated with negativity and profound bad news, atrocities filling our media, our social media, our news reports, and in some cases, our lives being inundated with pain and suffering. And so we want to make sure that if something speaks to us, if something rekindles our spirit, if something is a balm to us and helps to soothe uh, the sin-sick world, that we want to share that. This is an opportunity for you to use your social platforms or even to use email links to share the good news that you have experienced. And if something that has been part of our ministry here at Crozet has blessed you, then we hope that you will use it to bless others. We want to equip you to be evangelists, but also disciples who enable people to experience the love and the joy of Jesus Christ. So pray, give, and share, and we commend all of those to you. So we are going to return to a more formal element in traditional worship. Uh, the traditional worship services follow a order of worship or a liturgical outline, and it is appropriate for us to call the body of Christ together and to gather us. And so today we're going to invite you to join us in our call to worship from Psalm 80. Let us join together. Restore, Restore us, O oh Lord, Lord, God of hosts. Let, Let your face shine that we may be saved. We invite you to join us in the call and response, our gathering liturgy from Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O oh God of my right. You gave me room when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, you people, shall my honor suffer shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. When you are disturbed, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Oh, that we might see some good. Let the fight of your face shine on us, O Lord. We invite you to join us for our first hymn this morning, Heal Us, Emmanuel, Hear Our Prayer, number 266 in the United Methodist Hymnal.
invite you to take part in communal prayer and say together our unison prayer. Lord of infinite light, shining in the darkness of human sin, we yearn for your guidance. Remove our anxieties, quell our fears, and calm our tormented minds. Grant us a peace that only you can bring. No other can lead or love us as you do. And we lean wholly upon you during times of trouble, trial, and tribulation. May our faithful response inspire and draw others to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. And at this time, we're going to share in a tradition that precedes me here at Crozet United Methodist Church, and I hope it will continue until Jesus himself returns, and that is children's time. We love the children here at United Methodist Church, and it is not uncommon to have them come barreling down the aisles with great excitement and, and an opportunity to engage not only in object lessons and in some kid-friendly storytelling, but ultimately it provides all of us an opportunity to reflect as children of God on what God is calling for us. And today, as we have rekindled our two distinct worship services, one of the things that is distinct about them is not just the more formal liturgy and order of the 11 o'clock worship service, but a distinction in music and how music is used within the worship services. And as we do that, I think it's important for us to remember that music is a huge part of worshiping God and in the scriptures. In fact, there is an entire book in the Bible about songs, and it's called Psalms. And so in every Bible, hopefully, there is the book of Psalms, and you can read those songs. These are songs that God's people sang back when Jesus was a child, and even back when there were children before Jesus. And it's important for us to remember the power of those songs and that sometimes songs help us to say things that we might not be able to say otherwise. So in our call to worship a moment ago and in our gathering liturgy, we use the Psalms. We use them to gather us together and then enable us to kind of have a back and forth about the, the gathering and the liturgy and to prepare ourselves for worship. And we used Psalm 4 for the gathering liturgy. And if you're a kid, that might not have been very kid-friendly language. And so I want to share with you from this book where an adult has said, I think it's so important, the songs and the psalms in the Bible, that kids need to understand what they're hearing and what they're saying. And so this adult here has taken those same psalms and made them much more kid-friendly. So here is Psalm 4 in some kid language. God, when I'm in my bed at night, I think about you, and then I'm not scared of anything. I can fall asleep quietly and in peace. And it's so important for us to remember how the songs help us to have words and to have a sense of 
how great things are. I know that we sing songs a lot in my house. My son's taste in music has certainly changed over the time that he has grown. He's 10 now, and he has been exposed to a whole different genre of music than he grew up listening to. But every time we sing a song, whether it's a song that comes from the church or a song about God, when we allow the music to enliven our bodies, to make us want to move and to sing loud and maybe clap our hands or stomp our feet and dance, it's reminding us of how important it is to feel God's presence. And so we hope that you have songs that you like to sing. They might come from movies or cartoons or TV shows, or maybe you have singers and songwriters that you like to listen to. It's a beautiful thing. And maybe one day, because you love music and because God loves you, God will give you new words to write new songs that people will be singing for a really long time to give glory to God and to sing in worship. In fact, the song that we just sang is by a man named William Cowper. And he wrote that song hundreds of years ago, and he wrote it after the scriptures that he read. He even cites the text in the notes of the, of the lyrics that he was so inspired by the healing moments that Jesus had in the gospel account of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that he wanted to write a song to celebrate that and help us remember. And that's why the hymns and the songs that we sing in church are so important, because not only do they let us express our faith, but they let other people discover their own. Can't wait to see what songs you sing and that God likes to hear you sing. So hopefully you'll have a wonderful week singing, not only for yourself, but to God. And we look forward to sharing more songs with you as our worship goes on. So right now, we're actually going to shift into our anthem in a traditional worship service. It's not uncommon to have a choir or a soloist or a duet or a small trio sing a song that allows the congregation to kind of listen and receive it and reflect. And normally at our 11 o'clock worship service, we have a chancel choir. However, it is not safe for us to have a chancel choir at this time. But we are very blessed to have Gary and Debbie sing for us this morning, Shout to the Lord. So I invite you to listen and receive their offering. Shelter 
blessing us with that. In a moment, I will read for you the scripture for today as we begin a new worship series for the month of June on light into darkness and a mental health and mental illness portrait that we discover in the Bible. But before we do that, I want to reintroduce to us something that is very traditional in traditional worship, and that is the pastoral prayer. And I'm going to combine that with the invocation of the Holy Spirit to help us to receive the ministry of the word today. So I invite you to join me in prayer. Let us pray. Glorious Almighty God, you have given us the gift of the Bible. It is a recording of human experience and interaction with you throughout time. It is a very ancient record of your love and your presence, your forgiveness and your grace. And it records for us that we are not perfect, yet you are. You love us throughout time. You love us through our difficulties, our trials, and our tribulations. You love us when we wander away, and you seek to bring us back into your fold. We rejoice, Almighty God, that you do not forsake us, but instead continually reach out to us in acts of mercy and kindness, and that you empower us to do the same for others. Lord, in the brokenness, the pain and suffering of our world right now, we cry out to you. We cry out from our own place of suffering, and we as the body of Christ cry out from a place of suffering of those that may not be part of our Holy Communion. We recognize that others are suffering, that there is fear and hatred and violence in our world, that there is sickness and death. And for the pain and suffering of others, we cry out to you, seeking the movement of the Holy Spirit and the healing presence of Jesus Christ to bring comfort and peace to all those who mourn and suffer everywhere. Help us to be part of your healing, not only for those that we know and love, but for all of those in this world for you know and love every single person. May this time in communion with you, receiving your holy word once more, and the opening of the scriptures to us, inspire us and challenge us. May you hold us accountable and continually remind us that no matter what we have done, your grace is enough. May it be so, almighty God. Perfect us by your love that we may go forth to share that same love with others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 through 23. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, See now, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command the servants who attend you to look for someone who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will feel better. So Saul said to his servants, 
Provide for me someone who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a warrior, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread, a skin of wine, and a kid, and sent him by his son David to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand, and Saul would be relieved and feel better, and the evil spirit would depart from him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Amen. Our series that we are beginning for our worship for the month of June reflects not only our prayerful request for guidance and inspiration from God, but also our desire to be contextually relevant and engage what is currently going on, not just with our church and our community here in Crozet, but what so many people here in the United States and across the globe are experiencing. It is a time when the age of isolation and some of the trials that come with it have created for many people an encounter with mental illness. Whether it is an episode that we hope will be relieved as we emerge from this time and are able to rekindle our relationships and our structure and our normalcy, or whether it is something that is being exacerbated and might linger with us, or for some of us who already have a diagnosis of mental illness, this has created even more strain, stress, and suffering. And why is that important to the church? Well, it's important to the church because we are called to be with people who suffer. We are called to be with those who are struggling to find safety and security, to know that they are loved and that they are accepted, not just by the church, but by God Almighty. And so we become vessels of that. And Christ repeatedly shows us by his example and calls forth from us an empathic response, that we should be empathetic to people who are struggling and suffering, and that we shouldn't just acknowledge their pain and their suffering, but that we should work to help them overcome it so that together we can help all overcome. That is the work of the church. That is certainly the struggle of the body of Christ. And it is something that many of us wrestle with because we are people who are of God, but we live in the world. We are people that are raised and coming in contact with a secular culture. We come into contact with many other values other than that that are given to us through Jesus Christ and through the scriptures. And sometimes we find ourselves reacting to news or to a situation rather than responding as Jesus Christ would have us do. And the struggle for us is to reflect on what is it that I feel inclined to say or do and what is it that God would have me say or do. And so for us, it's very important that we wrestle with these places where we recognize that our response is a negative one, that we are inclined to say, well, you know, I, I'm sorry that you're sad, but you just need to get over it. Or, you know, this sounds like a character flaw, a personal weakness. Perhaps if you would just hang around with happy people, you would no longer feel depressed. 
That's not the response that Jesus shows us repeatedly in Scripture. And in fact, that is nowhere near the response that is recorded in 1 Samuel. The story that is shared in 1 Samuel is truly incredible. As I was researching mental health and preparing for this sermon series, I discovered that there are incredible Christians who are experts in mental health. And we are at a point in both the tradition of Christianity and in the history of humanity where there are a number of Christians with terminal degrees in their fields. They are pioneers in science and medical health. And they now are able to bring an astounding perspective to the reading of the scriptures. I read an article about a man who was both a Christian and had a doctorate in psychology. And he was able to read in the scriptures instances of mental health that shocked and surprised me. And they then became a comfort to me because there are certainly a number of people that I encounter in my pastoral ministry who struggle with mental health. In fact, you yourself may struggle with mental health. You may have loved ones that struggle with mental health. And according to the United States Department of Health and Human Services, one in five adults in our country struggle with mental illness. That means that on any given Sunday when this sanctuary here would be filled with people for our traditional worship service, anywhere from 100 to 125 people, that more than 20 of us would be struggling with this kind of illness and suffering. It's very important for us to realize that when 20% of the body of Christ, much less the world, are suffering, that we should be attentive, we should be mindful, and we should seek to be vessels of healing and wholeness and help them find the same in Jesus Christ. So in the story that we see today, uh, the same psychologist, the Christian psychologist, went back and read that story, and instead of seeing an evil spirit, he said the behavior of Saul, not just in the passage that I read to you, but if you continue to read 1 Samuel, Saul seems to have this moment where mental illness emerges. And from his expertise and what most of us would get as a diagnosis this day and age, he saw in Saul bipolar disorder. That one moment, Saul seemed to be completely in control of his mental faculties. He seemed to be healthy and happy. And he seemed to be able to reflect the personality and the character that his servants, his household, and his people had known. A valiant man who tried to do right. But then in the next minute, some horrible shift in his personality and his countenance would occur. And he would say and do things that not only tormented him, but tormented other people. In fact, if you continue to read, you'll find out that Suddenly, he goes from loving David and trying to allow David to marry his daughter to trying to kill David. And then he would revert back again. And these tremendous swings of his character and his countenance not only reflected that there was something wrong, but that Saul was not in control. And the scripture actually states that in, in their knowledge and in what they understood in the time that they told this story and when they started to record it, they couldn't account for the fact that something shifted so dramatically in Saul. What possibly could make it happen? It's like he's possessed as if he is no longer himself and in control of his own mind and his actions. And so they developed an understanding that perhaps he has been possessed by a demonic spirit. Now, whether or not you believe in demonic spirits, the story does indicate that there is a clear shift that occurs and that something needs to be done. You'll notice that the response of the servants to Saul is actually very compassionate, that their desire is not to shun him or kick him out or lock him away. 
but to find a way for him to cope and find a way to help him regain what has been lost, to soothe him when he is tormented. And so they come up with an idea. It's an incredible idea. Their idea is, let's find someone to play music for you. And just as now we are able to take the experience of Christians in their expertise and in their fields of study and see, hey, perhaps this is an episode of bipolar disorder, it's quite possible for us to look back and see that in the infinite wisdom of God Almighty, God created in 1 Samuel what might be the first instance of music therapy. That when the servants say to Saul, let's try this. Let's see if we can find someone to play music for you. And perhaps the music will soothe your spirit. They are acknowledging not only the power of music, but that music can help us find healing, which is one of the roles of music, not only in worship, but in the church. And so it's incredible to see that David, uh, who was a shepherd, that's why he was with the sheep, comes to find himself in the service of Saul. Well, back in Saul's day, they didn't have a position for music therapist. And so he becomes the armor bearer. But in his state, Saul is not going out to fight wars. Instead, David stays with him. An armor bearer was kind of the assistant to the king. And so he would stay with Saul. And when Saul would find himself shifting and swinging, that's when David would play the lyre, which is a stringed instrument. And he would play it and he would compose music. And it was so soothing that it brought peace to Saul. And that's a good and right and joyful thing. It's something that we use even now. In fact, one of my first ministries after I graduated from seminary was overseeing a worship ministry on Sunday afternoons at a local assisted living facility. And over time, because of the emerging needs of the society where I was appointed, what ended up happening was that it became a memory care unit. So you had people suffering from dementia. Some of it was stroke-induced. Some of it was related to Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. You had people who were struggling with their mental faculties. And we would come in and provide worship for them. And it would include singing some hymns. And it would include a sermon and uh, communion once a month. It was helping to bring them the very same worship that brought them comfort and joy in their life before they became residents of this facility. And I can remember that people would be gathering and I would go around and, and meet them and they would not remember me, of course. And we would go into the worship service and by the time I was preaching, they would all be asleep, which is very flattering to a pastor, by the way, when everybody falls asleep while you're preaching. Um, and you would think about it and I would say, you know what, I just, I, I, I'm going to look at this from the perspective of they are so comfortable and the spirit is providing them peace that they are able to find rest and we will celebrate that. But afterwards, we would sing a hymn and when I would go, I would go um, about once a month and lead it myself. I knew that if you wanted to resurrect the dead, that you would sing a hymn called In the Garden. And this is a, a classic hymn from that generation. And it was amazing that once we started the piano and when we started to sing, they would rise, they would awaken, and people who couldn't remember their name or their room number or what they had for breakfast could remember the words of that hymn. And they would sing it with all this joy and this gusto, and they would fill the room with praise for God. The remembrance that God does walk with us and talk with us, and he tells us that we are his own. And there's a beauty to that, to the power of music. And that's what David was giving to Saul, that music can help us feel 
joy. It can give us words when we have none. It empowers us to articulate everything from our theology to our gratitude to our current state to our yearning for transformation. And this isn't just sacred music. This accounts for secular music. There is tremendous power in music, and we recognize that. But music therapy is something that clearly the scriptures and God understood, and it has taken humankind a tremendous amount of time to get on board. In fact, the first article written about music therapy didn't occur until 1789, hundreds of years ago. And it didn't actually become a viable profession at which you could make a living <laughs> until after the First and Second World Wars when people discovered that the trauma and the post-traumatic stress that the soldiers had been experiencing could be alleviated through the gift of music. And it shouldn't surprise us because the study that was conducted by Johns Hopkins University found that music actually has medical and medicinal purpose, that it can actually reduce anxiety, blood pressure, and pain, and that it will help to improve sleep quality, mood, mental alertness, and memory. And if you go and read the study, which was very long, but I'll tell you one of the greatest takeaways from the study for me was this, that the researchers discovered that if you really want to work your brain, that you listen to music, and not just the music that you know, not just your favorite music from your teenage years and your 20s, that instead, listen to new music because it engages your brain and your spirit in trying to learn and discern and make sense of the lyrics and become acquainted with it. So when we take the time in the church to learn new music, when we become acquainted with what new Christians are composing and what other congregations and groups of Christians all over the world are singing, we're not only helping our brains and our mental health, but we are helping to unite the body of Christ across the globe. And when we sing hymns, such as the one that we opened with from so many years ago. We are continuing the legacy of faith. And so it's very important for us to recognize that that gift was all the way back in 1 Samuel, before the book of Psalms in the Bible. What an incredible gift and what amazing wisdom God has given to us. It is truly a blessing to see that. Well, Saul's suffering, his, his mental health and his mental distress are clearly recorded there. And the power and the strength and the healing ability of music was so incredible. And because David was willing to stay by Saul and provide that gift, he was loved greatly by Saul. It says that in the, in the scriptures that Saul loved him greatly. That someone choosing to be with you, to stay with you when you are not yourself, when you do not feel healthy and whole, that the response it evokes from those who find themselves sick is love. That's an important message for us, that as disciples of Jesus Christ, not just Christians who believe in him, but those who seek to follow him and do what he would have us do, that when we choose to be with and attend to those who find themselves sick, that the response is love. And there is no greater gift than that, to bring forth love, to give it, to bestow it, and to share it with others. That is truly the foundational ministry of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, people in his healing ministry when he was on earth discovered that they were being shunned by society. They were even being shunned by their religion. That those in the temple and those in the synagogues, the leadership and the religious authorities at the time did not understand them. They cast them aside. They wouldn't let them come in. 
And Jesus' response was not to echo what was going on. His response was to welcome them. His desire was to give them healing. In fact, he said that repeatedly. I have not come here to condemn. I have come here to heal and to bring home the lost sheep. Some of us are literally lost. We don't feel like the church is our place. We don't understand that God could love us or that God would create a place eternal in the heavens for us. Some of us are lost in that we don't understand that God's love is truly for us. And some of us feel lost within our minds. We feel that we are not in control or we are not able to feel the way that we want to feel. We are not able to think the way that we think we should. We feel lost within bodies. Why is it that time and time again, Christians respond with such compassion and ministry when we find out that someone has cancer? But when we find out that they're struggling with schizophrenia or we find out that they're having a manic episode, we are fearful. It is probably because we don't understand. And the hope is that with our engagement in the scriptures and our desire to grow in the incredible gift of wisdom that Christians have uncovered and encountered in their studies and in their experience and their occupations, that we can not only become more aware, but that we can be empowered to respond appropriately with love and grace. Because every single person was created in the image of the divine, created in the image of our maker and creator God. And every single person is beloved of sacred worth. And it is God's desire that every person should be treated with the same dignity in which they are endowed. It becomes very important for us as Christians to respond to every person by treasuring their image, treasuring their dignity, and responding with honor and respect for that same image and dignity. And that becomes hard under the auspices of the struggle with mental illness, but it doesn't mean that we can forsake that same holy work. We are called to be people who are present with those who suffer. We are called to walk alongside those that feel that they are lost and broken. The church is not immune from the struggles of the outside world. There is just as much sin in the church as there is outside. There is just as much brokenness in body and spirit and in mind here as there is. The difference is that we choose to respond differently here than people do outside. The struggle for us as Christians is to cast aside the societal response and embrace that of Jesus Christ. He didn't turn people away. When people were brought to him or when people came to him because they felt that they were possessed, that there was something that was making them act contrary to who they were and who they wanted to be, Jesus didn't tell them, well, that's a character flaw. You're clearly just expressing personal weakness. Jesus didn't say, it's because of your lack of faith that you're suffering. Jesus heard them and received them and helped them. And that is not just an ideal response. That is the paradigm. That is the expectation that Christ has set for us as well. And so whether you or someone that you love or someone that you are going to be encountering in your days ahead is willing to become very vulnerable and authentic with you and share with you that they are struggling, may you respond with kindness and compassion. 
May you show them love and mercy. And be honest about whether or not you are comfortable. I don't really know very much about this struggle with mental health you're in, but I want to be with you. And together, we're going to get through this. That is what we have been called to do. That is what we have been redeemed by the blood of the cross to do. And we can no longer be a people who choose to pretend as if this is not a reality. It is truly a struggle. My time in pastoral ministry has shown me that it is becoming more and more a struggle. I can't tell you how routine it is now to have children in preschools with anxiety disorders. And we could sit around all day and debate where they come from. But it doesn't matter because when a three or a four-year-old is suffering, the only thing that matters is letting them know that they are not alone, that they are not broken beyond all repair, and that God still loves them. And the only way that they learn that is because we still love them. So it's so important for us. It's really important that we think and we reflect and we pause and we pray before we react. If we do those things, maybe it'll be less of a reaction and more of a Christ-like response. That's the hope in the prayer, that not just this day, but every day, when people share with us or when we become aware of what someone is struggling with and suffering with, that the response that they receive from us is unparalleled love and grace because that is the standard that we have received from God. Amen. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. This is the time in our worship service when we would be inviting our congregation to respond, not only to the worship and the ministry of the Word, but to the goodness that you have received from God with your tithes and your offerings. And we have been continually blessed during this time of isolation by so many that have chosen to give and to sustain not only our missions and our ministries, but also to help us to launch new ones. The advent of our schedule for worship that you're seeing today, the 9.30 contemporary and this 11 o'clock traditional, is because people have given and allowed us to expand our digital ministry. All of those gifts are given for the honor and glory of God. And then because of God's great mercy and love, God allows those gifts to bless other people. So for the gifts that you have given, we are deeply grateful. And we commit to you that we strive to be good stewards of all that you give us. That's why so many of our new cameras have been donations. And that's why we are so grateful for so many that see value and worth in expressing the gospel, not only through the ministry of the word that you're receiving, but also through the acts of kindness and compassion, the mercy and the love of the church when people are in need, when they cannot pay their rent, or when they struggle to find food for themselves and their families. The church here in Crozet has been able to respond with an unparalleled grace to say, yes, we will help you. It does not matter that you don't attend here. Yes, we will help you. It doesn't matter that we've never seen you before and we might not never see you again. The point is that we want to respond as Christ would, and your gifts enable us to do just that. So we rejoice in those gifts. And we also want to acknowledge that while we have returned to our standard worship order and our standards to services, that today would be a day that we would be celebrating Holy Communion. And it is truly something that we yearn for and that we miss. 
And so what I would like to do is when we offer our prayer of thanksgiving for the tithes and offerings, I would like to also encompass in that that we are mourning that we are not fully whole and that we are not able to return to all the things yet, but that God will sustain us until we can. Let us pray. Lord, in your mercy, you love us despite our sinfulness. Despite our brokenness, you continually reach out to heal us and help us to find a new sense of wholeness. We rejoice for your spirit and for the way in which you never forsake us, but continually pour out grace and forgiveness upon us. All of this reflects your unparalleled love. We rejoice for the gifts that we are able to bring, to bring a smile to your face, but to know that those same gifts will be part of the healing of this world, not just here in Crozet or here in our country, but far beyond our borders. Surrounding the entire earth, there are those who cry out and the body of Christ responds. And that because of your providence and your presence with us, we are able to provide and share the gospel with them. May it help them to hold fast in the darkness. May it inspire them to continue onward until they find rest in the kingdom to come. And almighty God, may it knit us together as a fabric of faith in the body of Christ that is far beyond all human expectations, but instead reflects yours. Thanks be to you, almighty God. And in this time when we cannot see and taste Holy Communion, that tangible reminder that we have been forgiven, we pray that your spirit will surround us and imbue us with a new sense of forgiveness. Show us in other ways, for nothing is beyond your means that we are still loved, that we can be forgiven, and that you continue to transform us as individual disciples as well as the body of Christ. Help to sustain us until we can gather once more at your table and feast at your heavenly banquet. We give you thanks for the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for the remembrance of his mighty acts, and ultimately for your presence with us and the transformation that occurs in communion. We yearn for that once more, and we know that when it is time and it is safe and it is your will, we will once more receive, and we look forward to that with all the expectation of people who encounter you and seek to be vessels of your goodness and your grace. Thanks be to you, almighty God. Amen. 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 We are going to invite you to join us in an affirmation of faith. And affirmations of faith, and some of which are called creeds, come to us through the tradition of the church. They are opportunities for us to express a common faith and common belief. We're going to start with the oldest affirmation of faith, and that is the Apostles' Creed. Some of you may know this by heart. God bless you. If not, we have the words for you, and we invite all of us, wherever we are, to speak these words about our God. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And hopefully you found some comfort in speaking those ancient words of faith and joining your voice with ours and many others that you might not be able to hear at this time. But now we're going to invite you to lift your voices once more and sing hymn number 375, There is a Balm in Gilead.
So you may have noticed on our text slides that the song, There is a Balm in Gilead, is public domain. But what you don't see is what is reflected in the printed hymnal of the United Methodist Church, that both the words and the music come to us from the African-American church, and that it is an incredible gift, and that because of that, not only are we able to acknowledge suffering, but we have been given one more gift from God to help soothe it. I invite you to receive this benediction. May the God who placed the balm in Gilead place the love of Jesus Christ in you. And may the words of that closing hymn echo in you this day and in the days ahead that if you can't preach and if you can't pray, then respond with the love of Jesus Christ. May it be so. Go forth into the remainder of your day and your days ahead in the peace of God. Go forth in the name of the God and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, always and everywhere. Amen. 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 Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.